pretty like But I don't want to test the waters. Yeah, anyway. exactly. All right, so here we go. All right, everybody. Welcome. I've actually done some research, and this is number 25, episode 25 of Wood, Air, and Metal. I'm not guessing anymore. I looked it up. The podcast has numbers to them, and we the last one was 24, so that makes this 25 if we're counting in Arabic numerals. So oh, you didn't see the one I put out this today? Oh, yeah. You're just screwing <laughs> just up my the order again. <laughs> yeah. This is Wood, Air, and Metal without the classical guy, so it's better. <laughs> this, is, this is only a brief uh, episode 25. <laughs> yeah, we're going to. We actually wanted to Bye. film my firing, and that was it. That's it. You're gone. Wait, what? Yeah. So we're back again. We're back with clickbait and everything else, and debates, and. I, I was going to try to we'll, some other bait. We'll thing, probably but... have a. What was the thumbnail? thumbnail those are fun to make <laughs> so, yep we'll see what yep. gets spurred from this conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so today we are going to tackle ear training and talk talk about some ideas about ear training and uh the the written page or as uh, who was it the one youtube guy adam neely says that the cult of the written store which I'm an avid member of. I have gone through the initiations and these sacrifices and everything else that is required to be part of that. And I kind of like it. You know, it's, membership has its privileges. If you count as never having money and buying a lot of instruments, privileges. But it's great. I'm, I'm thoroughly loving it. But in all seriousness, we were uh, we had to stop the Twitter or the not Twitter exchange the messenger exchange there for a minute because we were starting to go back and forth and I'm like we should save this for the podcast we put the brakes on it let's bring this back up to talk about like it's mainly it uh, it's a video that we both I mean I've seen it a while ago and I'm pretty sure you have too but it's been circulating around again of how Michael Jackson wrote music that was the big thing and yeah to the uninitiated or those who haven't seen the video he basically sang every part into like a four track recorder and created the entire songs and then would come in and tell the musicians what to play literally by going okay this is the first note of the chord and then sing it this is the second note and this so the guy clearly had perfect pitch i mean that that, that just or great great pitch yeah yep but i um, think he might have perfect pitch the, yeah it's kind of interesting just to elaborate on that a little bit more like when you hear billy jean like you can actually find a, a version of this where he sings all the harmonies, not just the harmonies on the vocals, but like the harmonies from the synths and the keyboards mm-hmm. and the moog and the bass part and the drum part and the drum fills and like the whole thing. And yep. uh, that's the way Michael Jackson heard music. Like he would, there's a, in the article that I sent um, Adam, it's not just that video. They talk a little bit about it, but um, one of his songs, what was it? And I'm gosh, I'm just blanking indestructible or something like that whatever in the in the 90s it went to court because somebody said that he stole it and so it's very fascinating to listen to this like his deposition because the, his his lawyer's like so how do you write songs you know and he's kind of talking to him and, and he's sort of saying well you know i get these ideas and then they're in my head and then i'll kind of like record the parts with my voice and whatever, and then the guy kind of probes him, like, well, how many songs, like, for bad, 
like, how many songs did you have? How many songs are on the record? And he said 12 or whatever it was. He said, well, how many songs did you write for the record? And he's like, oh, about 70. He says, is that, so is that typical per album? He's like, yeah, but probably about 70 songs per album that I write in that fashion, like with his singing, you know, <laughs> so he's got all these demos. And then, uh, he's talking about that, whatever song it was, which I, I don't think it was indestructible. It was whatever it was. Um, he's like, yeah, that was a song from the bad sessions. Like, but I didn't finish it. And then we came back and like revisited it and I was keep kept tinkering with it. So he's actually like proving <laughs> that yeah. he wrote the song like in the early eighties or whatever, because he could sing like every part of both versions of both songs or whatever. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, he's like sitting here in the depth. He's like, Oh, so the bass part, you know, it's like, dum, you know, he's doing this whole thing and like, or whatever it was, you know, and he's like, so I got that. And then there's this harmony and it's like, da, 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 you know, and singing all the parts and it, it's just pretty cool. You know, like just a total monster, mm -hmm. um, how he got to that ability. And so, and then one of the things he says is that he doesn't read music at all. You know, mm -hmm. didn't read music, doesn't really know theory in terms of like Western theory um, that people yeah. learn in school. Um, so yeah, Adam and I started kind of going back and forth on that. And I, and I kind of stated that, you know, if I ever had the chance to run a music program, <laughs> I just, it is a thought experiment. And I've been thinking about it since we've been chatting. Like we sort of, I think it's probably two days ago or something. We were sharing this. Maybe it was yesterday. Um, yeah, I think it was yesterday. So you just kind of thinking on it more, but I'm like, if I had a music program, I'm kind of like, part of me is thinking, I don't know that I would let people, I would, I would want you to write music but not let you write it on paper and you have to come in and you have to sing the parts. And I realize not everybody can sing. And I think that's only like a little part of it. So you have to work on that, but it's kind of like what you want to be able to do is you, you should be able to sing all those parts, you know, if you really mm -hmm. want to do it in the, and less of a paper exercise and, you know, make that like a requirement that over at least the first, I was talking to my wife about it too. Like over the first two years, because this is how much I was thinking about it. Over the first two <laughs> years, that's all you get to do. Like no paper, just all oral. You know, learning to hear all these things. And the next two years, we'll start introducing paper, so you can take what you've learned um, and how you hear things and actually apply it to paper, um, so that you can communicate the ideas easier. Which is really the main use of paper and music um, in a lot of ways is just easier communication uh, mm -hmm. for some things that are hard to communicate otherwise. Yep. But uh, anyway, I, I kind of gave my piece. Um, what do you got? Well, I mean, it, you know, I, what's the way to put it? I was firmly in the cult of the written score for a long time, just thinking about it. Like it, and I wasn't poo-pooing the idea of recording or laying stuff out and creating things by ear. I mean, my first album was nothing. I didn't know anything as formal as I did after I went to school for the first album. And that was all written, quote-unquote, by ear. Everything done with the guitar rather than my voice. So I can understand that aspect of it. And I thought that getting an education would help me be a better musician. And I was right, but uh, what's the way to put it? Um, the... I think that 
Whenever somebody brings that type of thing, like your point about Michael Jackson and everything else, it makes me wonder if they had a grip on everything in terms of the theoretical aspects. And I'm not saying that he didn't have a, a, a grip in the sense like he didn't know what was going on. He, he clearly knew what was going on. But putting it into a way that is, a, I hate to use the words formalized uh, notational system, yeah, but I'm just going to use those words anyways. Without the record, uh, recorder or whatever. And being able to look at the page is always something where it's like, that's where I kind of, if I'm in a writing mode, that really makes me able to push things in new directions compared to just doing it by ear. Mainly because it's like, oh, well, I know what this is, and that can go this way. Well, how does that sound? Oh, okay, how does that sound if I do this way? Or I'll yeah, just you're write doing, it out. So you're doing it after the fact, though, right? You're saying, I don't know what it sounds like. I'm going to change it on the page. Then I'm going to listen to what it sounds like. I was just about to say like. that. Yeah. See, sometimes it's a. Sometimes it's. I'll look I, at I, it. I, I realize that too. By the way, I'm. I'm just picking on the. No, no, that's it. fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that's fine. Because I was going to go on both things with that. It's like if I'm sitting with my guitar in this current mess of an office because I'm been in a creative streak, so things get messy and I get negligent of everything else. Um, the uh, as I'm in that. It's like literally I'll, I'll write it out and then I'll, I'll play it and then I'll be like, well, what if I take it here? And then I'll, I'll play it a little bit that way. It's like, all right, well, what if I invert it? What if I do a retrograde? What if I do this? You know, what if I go into a halftime here? You know, and, and play it as I'm thinking it through. If I'm sitting in my bed with my compositional notebook and, you know, a pencil, I'll just write it out and see what it sounds like. You know, I can generally sing the pitches and get some type of a rhythmic idea, but I'm kind of letting my analytical head take over for that. And... This kind of led into, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, when I was getting my master's degree, the uh, one of the um, uh, classes that I took. Kidding. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm like, that sounded pompous, didn't it? Yeah. Back when I was getting uh, <clears> this. <throat> yeah, it was my pipe, so my tweed jacket. Um, but no, like uh, one of the classes that I took was on uh, pedagogy for theory classes. And it was me, another student, and uh, Dr. Wilding, who was also my compositional guy and uh and had a good he, has a great ear oh yeah he's phenomenal like i love his I love his stuff and so we spent like the entire semester debating how do you construct a program that allows kind of like a level playing field because everybody's got different strengths you have somebody whose ear and vocal capabilities are are much better than the, the next person sitting next to them who might be brilliant on theoretical pages but you know their sense of pitch and singing just isn't there you know they can kind of get it but it's it's tough for them to take what they're getting from their ears and put it yeah. onto a page and i was kind of in that camp when i was going through the classes like i, I was fine with sight singing that was not a problem i could it hit the pitches but in terms of getting the oral information and transcribing it, that's where I was kind of, this also might factor in that having the class at 7.30 in the morning or whatever ungodly hour it was and being a performing musician at the same time, it's like out at a bar, 7.30 a.m. class is going to suffer. You know, it's I, just love, I wonder if this is, how many of you who've gone to music school had your sight singing class first thing in the morning? Oh, yeah. I, I, but I, well, I mean, even at uh, where I teach now, it's a, it's like an eight o'clock in the morning class. Which Your I'm voice just like, is like, you, you, yeah. like, this is the highest pitch you can sing, you know, whatever. See this coffee, <laughs> this coffee, it needs to be gone before I can even think straight, let alone start to sing and uh, transcribe stuff. And one of the girls in the class, um, she had perfect pitch, you know, so she 
not a problem. Next, right. you know, even with the vertical stuff. Um, I was like, I'm green with a jealous rage, but whatever. That's just <laughs> what you have. Um, and that was that. So, you know, I did really well in any of the analytical stuff. That was not a problem. But the ear training and the oral questions were always like, I could hear scales without a problem, but you throw that into like, when it got to like inversions and stuff, it was like, uh, that's, I know what it is, but I'm not too clear about what, if it's in first or second in, inversion or third, if we're in seventh chords or whatever. Um, that's where it got kind of shaky. So that's where I kind of suffered grade wise. And so the questions, I didn't really suffer. I still got A's, but it was like, you know, it was always like this. It wasn't, they were both here. And that was one of the big things that we kept dealing with is like, how do you keep the grading fair when you have people with different strengths in the same class and you're using them both. It's like some schools would do it where you'd be graded on the uh, oral stuff pass fail and the theory would get the letter grade. But that was still kind of like, well, you know, if you're brilliant at the singing, that's going to it's kind of not right for the other thing because you clearly understand and can hear what's going on. Like you're not right. ignorant of those things. It's just the yeah, it doesn't make any problem. sense at all that they would ever share a grade. Yes, and I, I completely agree, and uh, it makes it. I don't think really most schools hard. are like that, by the way. I know Akron was. I, you know, well, when I was at Youngstown, it wasn't. Uh, there wasn't any classes because that was for the masters, so it didn't really matter. Um, at Kenyon, I don't know off the top of my head. I think they're, they're combined. They're clearly extremely different skill sets. Yes, and. Both, I, I think they're both necessary uh, to an extent, especially if you're going for formalized education and emphasis on the formal education. You got to kind of dabble in that. It's a form of analysis aspect. that helps, right, explain yeah. ideas, sure. Exactly. And that, I think, is why I kind of favored the, the written thing because you can explain the ideas in a way that is, it's, it's right there. It's like, this is going to go here, this is here, you know, and then you can play it after the fact. And I think that's a little bit easier to communicate. Because, I mean, you look at band setups now. It's like, okay, here's your, if you're, you got the, the real book. It's got, here's the head and the chords, boom. And you should be able to read that right off the, the, yeah. the, right off the gate. Um, now, that being said, that doesn't poo-poo the idea that other people that don't necessarily operate in that can't be more than adept at w what they're doing. Michael Jackson being the big point. Like, he heard every single line in there is prolific of just using his the easiest modicum of pro providing that information into a uh a recordable setting you know it's like we use a sheet music because we can write on it to get our ideas out and have it static well if you're not using that but you have access to a recorder and that's something that you're super familiar with then you're going to go with that so in one sense, you're, you are, quote unquote, writing it down. You're just doing it with a recorder versus doing it on a written page. Um, my only thing that I would say that puts me more into the written page thing is, and I was thinking about this earlier today, is just Beethoven. You know, you look at the way he, uh, you know, he clearly would write by ear and everything until he didn't have that anymore. So he went stone cold deaf. Um, and then he wrote his ninth symphony, which is, you know, considered. Yeah, but he still could hear the music in his head. Yeah, he didn't need I to hear so. it otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, I like. See, I'm that I'm not sure. I don't know what happened to the oral capability. No, but I, I'm just thinking like, I don't need my ears to hear music. In a sense, like I can hear music in my head. 
Yeah, no, exactly. That's and I can hear intervals and hear pitches and harmony and you know rhythms and <laughs> I don't have to hear it at all, right? I've already heard it. I know what it sounds like. I yes. guess I'm and assuming that Beethoven could on everything. Unless his yeah. brain stopped working, <laughs> probably Which could still hear it. I mean, we, we just don't know. You know, it's not like we can do a brain scan of the guy or anything like that today. But my point being is that though. He had all that, and when you took away the, the oral skills in terms of feedback, he could still put it all together onto the page. In fact, there's newspaper, well, what we would consider newspaper articles written about him as his hearing started going, and they were always complaining about him being really bass-heavy in his piano playing, because that's what he could hear. So he, you sure. know, he would kind of drive it, which makes sense. You know, it's sad, but it's also fascinating at the same time. Um, like uh, when he they premiered the Ninth Symphony, the conductor didn't take a repeat, and he was up there conducting as well. But right. he was just following the score, you know. And that, you know that you know where I'm going with this. But the the story is, you know, the conductor got done, and the audience is erupting and clapping, and Beethoven just looking at the score and conducting. And then he's like tapped him on the shoulder and had to turn him around to see the audience that they're like that's the reception that he was getting. Sure. Um, one of the uh, music history teachers would always cry when they told that story. And I'm like, you know, I figured after like the fourth time I tell it, it would just be like normal. Like that emotional edge would be gone. And I don't begrudge, I'm not like trying to make fun of that particular teacher or anything, but it was just like, um, all right, you know, you've done it for a good amount of time. This should be, (laughs) we're over it. It, it, It's sad, but it's just the way that it is. And it's a testament to Beethoven's incredible writing uh, ability with that. So, so I guess I, I want to I back up a little, oh, a fair amount. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, before I forget, so like one thing that you mentioned earlier is is writing the music before you really knew theory and you used the guitar, and in a sense, that's a you're using your ears to write it. Mm-hmm. But what I was getting I, at I, with the the music program thing was. I'm sorry, you don't get to use your instrument. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and, well, the, and the, the intent here is, that, or the reason I say that is we can learn all kinds of shapes and things like that that fit under our fingers and certain things lay nicely and we sort of learn um, things that sound good together or little tricks or whatever. And we we can do that without actually hearing it in a way. Like we do it as a mechanical exercise. Yeah. Now we're evaluating it after the fact, but it's more of like, I wonder what this sounds like if I put my hands like this. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, if I move this note, like, but what I'm, but what it isn't is you really aren't like in control of the, the sound in that you might like what it sounds like, but you couldn't tell me what it is that you're, you're hearing. Um, because, what Michael Jackson would have been able to do, you know, and what the goal of the training would be is that you would be able to sing all those pitches before you even played it on the guitar, you know, <laughs> and you would say, and not because you were like, well, I just know what this harmony is and that's a fourth and that's a third and that's a uh, tritone or whatever. Um, it'd be, you're hearing the whole chord in your head and then you're saying, Oh, that's what chord is that? That's that chord, and it's stacked like this. So it's a little bit of a different like sense of perception. So going to the piano or guitar in particular, two instruments that are like 
very mechanical, like almost like pushing buttons kind of things. Um, you don't really have to have a good ear to play them, frankly, <laughs> at all. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's, the guitar should definitely be in tune. <laughs> so that, yeah, but e- but even uh, then, like we've there's then, yeah. great guitar playing. Um, with if you have an open mind, where people purposely detune it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I hear. I get where you're going. But it's it's a button pushing instrument. Right. I would say that I would argue the point that the human voice is an instrument as well. So you're never going to get away with using some type of instrument. I mean, that's just how it's going to be expressed. C- certainly it is, but it's a little bit harder <laughs> to control <laughs> your voice when you don't know what pitch you're trying to sing. So notice I said guitar and piano. I w- I'm not so sure this would be true of violin or um you know instruments where pitch matters where you where you have to hear the pitch before like a trumpet or a french horn or something where you can't just get away with pushing buttons and hoping for the best for the most part um you kind of have to be like oh well i pushed this but i didn't put my lips in the right way and i'm not hearing the right pitch or um i'm not pushing the right place i'm always flat or sharp or whatever like on a violin you need to know kind of what you're trying to hear before you play it um you can't just go by memory of a a location you can sort of but you really got to know what you're trying to go for especially if you're moving around very much um it's those little like especially like you watch great violinists they basically get to the right spot but they'll make these like quick micro adjustments that could be like a minor third you know or something (laughs) like it could be a pretty far but to us it looks like it happens just like that but in, they had to figure. They had to know what pitch they're going for and adjust to it to get there. Um, and I think the voice is kind of like that, even more think, so. Like, yeah, but even if you're gonna throw a violin in there with that, I mean, it's the same thing with the guitar. Like, you could have the pitch in your head and go, "No, that's not it," and then adjust it that way. No doubt. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to be too contrary. I'm yeah, like, no, no, no. I and that's why I mean, even any instrument at all has its little quirks and like things including the voice, but probably the voice more than anything is the most fair represent- representation of whether you can actually hear a pitch or not. And yeah, I'll give you that. Well, no, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that back. I'm taking that back. Okay, well... Maybe because of the, the non-fretted instruments. Like, with the violin, that inter- that point that you were just making, yeah. with uh, sliding up, it's like you have to have that pitch in your head to know that you have to move it. You yeah. know, so it, you just physically missed Fine. it. it maybe it's, uh, so there might be comparable ones. Sure, I'm okay with that. Especially, like, let's, let's pick a single string instrument, like a, like a sitar or something, really. Like, But even then, you have sympathetic strings that help you know where the pitch is. But uh, let's so ignore everything that. Everything has a guide to an extent. And there's particular frequencies that we're aiming at, even if yeah. we're using the human voice. And that's, that's just the modicum that it is. You know, that, that music has to be or is predominantly frequencies that are coming out and so source and, and, and getting projected. We're just trying to find a certain range of it, whether it happens to be fretted on a, on a guitar, unfretted on a violin, it's through a saxophone. We're all kind of aiming into the same particular area to get those pitches. So yeah. the ear is being used regardless of the instrument. The difference, and I think this is what you're kind of arguing, uh, at least that's what I'm picking up where, I, where the tension is in terms of things, is that the, uh, you're trying to get it disconnected so that from any external stimuli so that it is internalized 
to be able to hit the pitches as you're saying as you're doing it like you're right. in tune quote unquote yeah um, you're not let's say this um you're hearing the pitch in your head first mm-hmm. before you ever make a sound before you ever touch an instrument it's there that that would be the goal and mm-hmm. and not only um to just sing it but to also hear it Mm-hmm. So like you should, it should be like an instant thing. You hear a chord and you know what kind of chord it is. It should be instant that you, and not not like you could go, oh yeah, I guess that's a minor second and that's going to a perfect fourth and that's a major seventh chord and second inversion. Like maybe you could do that after the fact, but that's not the stimulus. The stimulus, like that's not what you're. You just know, like that. That's where you want to. It's just like when you use words when we're talking right now. When you're not thinking okay. verb, noun, whatever. You're not thinking any of that stuff. You're not thinking, oh, I need to complete this sentence and put a period at the end. And the sentence doesn't make any sense unless I finish the statement and make sure there's a subject and all these kind of things in it. You're not thinking that. You just do it because you've done it enough. It's second nature. And when someone talks to you and they use sort of bad grammar or their run-on sentences like I'm doing right now, you're like <laughs> you notice it, right? You 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 notice it without really thinking about it. Then you think, well, why did that sound kind of weird to me? Oh, yeah, I guess he was just like, he didn't really get to the point. Like, he was just kind of going on and on. You don't have to think about it. And it'd be the same kind of idea. You might be able to go back and analyze it and say, oh, that was this chord and that chord and that chord and that chord. But in your head, you're just saying, oh, I could go grab the guitar and just play ding, 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 ding. And it would it would be those chords. And now, maybe later, I might go... Oh well, that that was a descending minor second sort of thing with the chords were sw- switching, and it was a tritone substitute. You might say all that stuff after the fact, but that that that's not really that's not like instant recall. That's you can't use that. That's that's a big problem I think with the way ear training is done, and we'll get in that another time in school. That it's there's not enough time to go perfect pour major third minor third blah blah. blah. You you don't you by the time you've done that. The phrase is over. It's been five minutes. Everyone's drinking at the bar. Like you've <laughs> lost it. Yeah, you need yep. to be able to hear something and just play it back. You're not thinking minor third, major third, major scale. That's this, that, that. Like you've already, you're already gone. It's already over. You've you've missed the boat. It needs to be just like that. It's a little bit magic, in a sense. Um. But that's just where you get when you do it for a while. So if you're always learning off of records and stuff like that, and you're always listening and trying to use your ears and play it on your instrument, you start to get this sort of like, I don't want to say sixth sense, but it's sort of like a sixth sense where you mostly can just play it back. And you don't really yeah. think about any of those things. And that's, well, where, you wanna, that's where you want to be. And mm-hmm. so um, we were kind of mentioning this. I'm trying to remember this before I forget, too, is you had kind of made the argument in the um today a little bit too but in our little exchange that the paper side of it helps you know open doors and avenues that aren't as easily seen which i agree with um in general um you know particularly with like theory you might try something because you're like oh you know i i have been in this key for a while i could try transitioning to another key and see what happens but i think that's still like after the fact. And the reason I'm going to say this 
and it's a little bit cheating, which is <laughs> if you actually listen to a lot of music and you had a good ear, a good enough ear that you knew what you were hearing when you heard it without thinking about it very much, that you would have all the harmonic and like interesting ideas you could ever want by listening to, you know, a few composers or a few bands and you'd never run out of material. Like if you listen to a, the Bartok string quartets and like the Bach well-tempered clavier and like a Led Zeppelin album and a John Coltrane record, like you really wouldn't, you would have so much content um, for how to approach harmony that you don't even, not that you couldn't use paper, but you, it's not like you would get any more out of the paper than you got out of those things. Um, yeah, that's the point you made earlier. Like yeah. text thread thing. Yeah, but so I did. I, I was thinking of a counter, but not to, to I'll wait to, I'll let you finish. <laughs> but I was just thinking about something. Yeah, okay, and by on. the way, this is not to say that I can do all these things. Oh, yeah, no, I can yeah, yeah, and, and um, my ear has gotten better and better. And for the most part, when I hear something, I can play it back, you know, almost real time um, without thinking about it, which is something I've worked on for a long time. And I can generally go back and say, oh, that's that chord or that that thing. But what I was trying to do is, you know, in, in jazz in particular, you hear something, you just want to be able to play it. Like You don't want to have to think, like, what is that? Now there's different phases of that and there's different things that you learn when you're trying to figure stuff out and you kind of get it under your fingers and into your ear that they are sort of like, let's say automatic fingerings or something like that. There's a little bit of that that kind of goes on. Um, cause it's just the nature of playing music. Right. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't think you, I could. So this is a little bit of an indictment on myself. Speaking <laughs> of indictments, uh, indictment on myself that I, I really feel like this is a skill set that I should have. And, and not only that I should have, and I don't think I'm some great singer or anything, by the way. Um, it, but that it's sort of lazy of me not to have it. And I think it's totally doable. I think it's doable by anyone who actually wants to play music. And then one last point before I forget, and then I'll yeah. let you go. Which is we? I, I kind of mentioned this in our text chat too. Which is, I am a big fan. I'm an engineer by the day, right? Like I'm a, I'm a, like a book nerd, whatever. I like the theory kind of stuff. I'm interested in all the problem solving, and I love writing the paper stuff down and thinking about it and analyzing and coming up with all kinds of clever things. But I still believe that, you know, writing about music is like writing about painting or something like you can't mm -hmm. become a great painter by somebody reading a book about it and, or it's like paint by numbers kind of thing. The real magic of painting or visual art or music is in music. It's ears in mm -hmm. the, in the um, painting world, right? It's your eyes and how it sees it and how yeah. it perceives it. Um, all the words you could possibly come up with, are significantly less valuable. And in when I say words in music, we have words that are written as little circles with lines on them too. Those are effectively words 
we've come up with for music to represent it. And, but that, that is still like writing. That's like a language that we created that's written (laughs) that has nothing to do with real music in a way. It's an, it's a post analysis of it, but the magic of music really is still, this is more important than anything you could ever write down. So that's where I stand. Closing (laughs) argument. (laughs) Closing argument. Well, I, my thing was, I was like, well, then how would, uh, Schoenberg go, Schoenberg go about it? Because he took everything that he had with the ear training and, you know, a huge understanding of 18th century counterpoint. In fact, he wouldn't let anybody into his uh, 12-tone methodology unless they had an incredible grip on the 18th, which I found fascinating. He's like, no, you need to know this like the back of your hand, and then I'll show you the 12-tone stuff. Sure. And that, so that next level of, like that particular thing with the Viennese school, would that have been possible by using, considering how formulaic some 12 tone stuff, I'm thinking Babbitt on that one, uh, you know, is, is that even possible with just using your ear? This is where I said I was cheating a little bit earlier. <laughs> okay. And the reason that I was mentioning cheating, if you didn't catch it, um, I'm going to elaborate now, which is, some of those things I don't think I think you're right, but okay. that doesn't account. That doesn't apply to us because yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't apply to us because it exists. So, if you had Michael Jackson, could listen to, you know, Vayburn and um, all this stuff. <laughs> what if Michael Jackson? <laughs> now I'm really thinking it's like that. I actually be pretty sick and cool. <laughs> all right, like so. he might not like it. Or yeah, you know, yeah. enjoy it, but presuming how good his ear was, he had an understanding of it that you and I probably won't get, right? Unless mm-hmm. we really work on our ears a lot. Uh, we might read it on a piece of paper. We might understand that it was some formula, but from like an oral standpoint, he's just better than us. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm not so sure that he wouldn't have it. I guess is what I'm saying. Could he replicate something like that or be able to create something like that? He might have to listen to some more of it, kind of ingrained in more. But to someone who has ears like that, um, it doesn't matter what intervals they are. You know what I mean? Like It doesn't matter what weird um, intervallic sequences are happening. They're just notes. It'd be, it'd be kind of like you going around, looking around my room and going, well, that's red, that's green, that's black, that's green, that's mm-hmm. gray. It's kind of like a white sparkly thing. That's like that's what Michael Jackson presumably would be able to do with it. He might not like the way that this looks, but he gets it. Like he gets it. He gets yeah, why it looks yeah. that way. And uh, so that's where I was cheating. Like, so, yeah, a lot yeah. Of, that's why I'm like, yeah, I was kind of mentioning like Bartok or something like that. Like, yeah, if you listen to like, Bartok, the string quartets, all of them, you would have a lot of information you could use in the future. Or Hensei, I mean? or Hindemith, you know, all that. Yeah, I was just picking one, right? Yeah, there's yeah. so many of those guys. Um, yeah, you just need to hear. If you had that kind of ears, you would understand it. You would say, oh, okay, that's that kind of like style. Maybe you don't really and know. Now, that being said, my little shot with the 12 the zone. Twelve tone and serialism. Uh, that being said, you know I've had theory ta- teachers say like, "No, I got 
composer friends of mine that totally hear everything in 12 tone. Like they're sure. like, oh yeah, that's an O one three five, or you know, you know, they'll be able to tell you everything right off of hearing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's the world that they live in. And it, could that translate to tonal? Yeah, of course. Duh. Um, that's just a, the, what they're wrapped up in. So, yeah, I, mean, uh, I think in, I mean in jazz too. Like, pretty much once you've been doing it for a while, you can hear any note against any chord. Yeah. Um, yeah. and and not just like it's like, how do you get there and where do you come from and all those kind of things. You pretty much can hear it and say, oh, that the flat nine on a major chord, major one chord is okay mm-hmm. because I know how I got there. Yeah. Well, that's um, what Matheny did in that master class. Yeah, it, it, right. I think back to the previous episodes and he did that. You know, he's sitting there yeah, talking. I, mean, to I don't like, think that's so atypical. Sure. So it's not, it's not hard for me to fathom at all that a, a yeah, modern yeah. composer, like that would seem to be almost like a prerequisite, especially like in the classical world, horrible name, um, the classical world um, composers, especially like PhD. Compo- if you have a, if you're going to get your PhD or you're going to study composition and your PhD composition teacher can't do that, you might want to go to a different program. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. But anyway, yeah. that that should be the world that they live in. That should be the that should be the world they're exposing to you and the expectation they would have of you. I would think. Again, here I'm creating a music program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of my, comp- yeah, yeah, exactly. Get it together. And that's uh, that's why I'm talking to the teachers, not even the students. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think those are all really good points with that, you know. And it's, uh, but I think all, you know, in in another sense, ultimately, what we're looking at is some way to put a symbol on. The musical expression that we're doing, whether that is you know with a keyboard into a DAW, yeah. Michael Jackson singing into a four track, or you know Beethoven sitting there with a quill on a thing of staff paper writing it out to do it. We want to get something that is inside, outside, in a recordable format in order to reproduce that particular sequence uh, for somebody else. You know, it's like boom. I remember that that YouTube. I mean, he's a great guitarist and he's been on countless pop albums, but uh, Tim Pierce, his sure. channel. He played on uh, uh, Black or White, the Michael Jackson tune. He right. was talking about like uh, all that stuff there, and he's like, you know, Michael came in and he's like, I, he wanted the bridge to be very Doctor Feelgoody, you know, he's like, because that was like the hit song at the time of the writing. Um, so he's like, I want to take that idea, and then he played that middle section. And it's like, oh my god, that sounds exactly like you know, like he could totally. It's like that. Yeah, that's pretty much Doctor Feelgood, just right. in a different key, you know, with a slight rhythmic variation. But that's it, you know. Um, so he used that. He wrote that particular riff with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So which was like, huh? So he put this uh, spin on it, and in the sense of like, Michael, just this is what he wanted, and this is what I came up with. And lo and behold, yeah. that was part of it. And his Michael's producer came up with the you know thing. I don't know if Michael sang that to him or not, but the producer definitely came up with that guitar part. And he's like, this producer is not like you know the world's greatest guitar player by any stretch of the term. He just happened to have a guitar, and Michael was talking. He's like, oh, like this. He's like, yeah, like that. And record, and history was made at that particular moment. Which and that's like not begrudging the fact too, because I think in another sense, you know, and this is something that I think every musician struggles with is that like you bust your ass to get certain things to happen, and then you have this situation where you know this guy that's maybe not quote unquote as good as you sits down and just comes up with something brilliant, and you're like, well, where's the where's the, where's the matches? 
because I got a fire of all yeah. my instruments to go. And that's just, that's typical. You know, someday that, that might be you, but that's just uh, the writing process happens like that. You're going to pull from whatever resources you have. I remember reading an interview with uh, Steve Lukather talking about some funk album that they, some guys like were paying him to record on. And they're like, yeah, we had this other guy came in and, and he did these parts. And he's like, I'm listening to these parts. And I'm thinking, this is probably this, all this kid that was in there before could play. He's like, it was freaking great. Like it totally yeah. fit what they were going for. And he's like, I just looked at him. I'm like, why don't you, I'm not going to get to this type of thing. He's like, I, I could replicate this, but this is like exactly what you want. Like everything. Yeah. And it's close as I could get to imitating that. It's not the same as the, the, the way this guy is owning it, which is like, I was like blown away one by the level of artistic integrity and a humility that he had to say that, you know, sure. it's like, how much money was being thrown at him to, to do that particular thing. And he's almost in a sense, turning it down. He probably played on other tracks, but you know, it, regardless, you know, it's good to get a re- good uh, rapport though. Right. <laughs> he was thinking yeah, long term. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, ultimately though, you know, that's, you want to fill the niche that you have and be able to, especially if you're going on somebody else's album, you know, you want to be doing to an extent, exactly what they want with your yeah. flavor on it. Cause that's why you're there, you know, yeah, of course, not the, side tangent from Michael Jackson's thing. But, uh, you know, and that's the other thing too, uh, just to kind of pull it together. It's like, if you're going in the studio, you're, you're, you're not always going to get sheet music in front of you. You know, that, that would be my ideal world. It's like, play this. Okay. That I right. can do, you know, but I mean, the like, music okay. world, particularly for guitar players, you know, anybody yep. who's played like pit shows or sat in with like a working band. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say working band, you're playing top 40 or something like that. Yeah, you're going to get a car. You're char- not going to get sheet music. music. Yeah. And even you're if you do, well, you get sheet music for the musical, but it's usually chord charts and yep. flashes and chords. And they throw like these random chords in that can only be played on a piano. <laughs> you know, it's 11 <laughs> notes on they write or something. Out, they write out the voicing and you're like getting your foot in there. You and, know, and it, like, yeah, oh, wow. and it's like real fast to switch between different chords. Yep. But anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, so that just happens. But I, I, I totally agree. I mean, as far as playing on anyone's stuff, you just play what they need to play. That's the best thing you can do for somebody as a musician is not put your spin on it, but to help them make the thing that they have their dreams about. You know, you want to you want to make it as good as as they can do it. That that's your best service, um, unless they ask you to do something that's you know your particular flavor. Um, yeah, exactly. and and there is something to be said about that. You don't get hired if they don't like the way you play. Sure, that's that's just just like that. So that's something to keep in mind. It's like you have to keep that factor going when you walk through that door. And you're like, all right, I'm going to do my thing, you know, and uh, hopefully it works out. And I played on somebody's album where it went absolutely fantastic in the studio. Like I played on like four tracks, and then they realized they made a mistake later on and had to wipe everything. Right. Like. It's like, ah, and by then they were out in California and they're like, so I just had to have, some. and I mean, whatever, I don't care. You know, it, it, it would have been cool to have my name in lights, but what if it didn't work out, it doesn't work out. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is you don't, you could be recording a bunch of stuff and it just doesn't get used. That's just Certainly. it. They in a direction. Oh, well, but, uh, as far as going back to the ear thing, um, yeah, this has to- nothing to do with art. Um, and what I mean by that is, while I do believe the ear is 10 times more valuable than the page, again, coming from someone who loves the page and analyzing it and geeking out on it, 
Um, just because you have great ears does not mean you'll make great music. And just because somebody who has no ears isn't going to make great music just by using the, the algorithms that work in music and writing mm-hmm. a piece of paper it could be the greatest piece of music you've ever heard in your life. Um, and they couldn't hear any of it or even sing it back to you or anything, right? Even after they've heard it, they might have no real concept of what it sounds like. Um, that has nothing to do with that. So I'm not saying that you couldn't write great music without this. You know, but that, it's, it's just more of a musician skill. You know, it's kind of like, how do you want to learn to paint? You want to learn to paint reading a book and then writing about how you're going to hold the brush or whatever? Or do you learn how to paint by painting, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, I would, uh, I would say the more you paint, the better you're going to get at it. Um, the catch on there is that somebody could tell you something like, Hey, you know, you're holding that brush kind of funny. You know, if you held it a little bit like this, your lines would be straighter. And then you do that. But I, I know there's those kind of things too. Yeah. The, the technique, but, in order to bring efficiency are always going to be things that need to be adjusted. That's just, that's just the way that it is. Though I I would argue that if you can't see, and I mean, seeing the art sort of way, um, you can't really draw very good. It has nothing to do. So this is actually a, Oh, this is a very interesting topic and we, we can get into another time. Um, I love, I love drawing and art and those kind of things. And before I played music, I always drew, I think even my parents were like looking at like art schools and stuff. I was pretty into it. Um, and if you go to my work now, I have like the crazy drawings that I draw for like that are all over the place. Um, and one of the things I had to learn and it was, it took me the longest time cause I'm so dumb is I always thought, and this is a problem with music too. I always thought to be a good drawler, that means like who can draw the best circle, you know, who can draw the straightest lines, these kind of things, right? These like mechanical skills. And it wasn't until I realized that that means nothing. Like you can show a five-year-old how to use a compass to draw a perfect circle. You don't get any, there's no real value in your steady hand, you know, kind of, there's a little bit, but, being able to draw a perfect circle or something like that, or draw a perfectly straight line, isn't doesn't mean you make good drawings, because anyone can do that. I mean, there's like there, you can give somebody a ruler and they can draw a straight line. Like, there's there's no value in that skill in particular. What you what I really had to learn how to do is see. What do you was one of the problems that people have in drawing, is we get these sort of like symbols in our head. We think, oh, it's a table. So a table has four legs. It kind of looks like this in your head. So you draw a square and you put four lines on it or whatever because it's a symbol in your head. And that has nothing to do with actually drawing (laughs) because what drawing is is about seeing whatever you see, you just replicate it, right? So you have to learn how to see it first because when you actually draw a real table, you might not even see the back leg right and the front leg could be all like messed up a little bit and it's not really straight and then the way what you're really seeing and on these shadows and stuff like that you might think well the top's going to be bright but the other side's going to be dark but there's a shadow of something 
that's on the table. Like you, you just have to draw what you actually see. Like it's so dumb and it's so easy in a way, but you have to like reprogram your brain to not draw symbols. You have to draw what you actually see. And I think this is the same thing with music. Yes, all the skills, like getting your fingers to move, um, the sort of efficiencies and whatever, all that stuff seems like it's helpful. But it's, it's you know, doing, like people do a lot of these exercises. And I think like John Petrucci is very um, guilty of this, which is just like the one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you know, it's kind of like just guitaristic sort of um, things. They're not musical at all. They don't come from a place of music. They come up from a place of just um, making your fingers work a certain way. Um, but what you really need to work on is actually hearing. <laughs> like, what you really need... You, you can't draw if you can't see. And I was saying you really can't play music well unless you can hear. Because you could give a great musician who can hear, like... Uh, Fisher Price guitar with broken strings on it, and it's gonna sound awesome. Like it's gonna sound like music because they can hear. It doesn't. Even, it doesn't even matter if they have a pick or whatever, or if they had to, you know, use a penny or whatever. Like they can make some music for you because they can hear. Um, it doesn't matter if it was in tune. They can adjust the pitch with bending or whatever, and make it sound like something, or or invent an instrument on your, you know, with you know, rappers or something. And, you know, a good musician who can hear could make, could play this thing, you know, in a sense, once they've messed around with it a little bit, play Mary Had a Little Lamb, you know, like play music to make actual songs um, mm -hmm. out of stuff. Well, that's where it all started from. It didn't start like, you know, with a guitar and six strings. It started from, right. with like this it guy. It didn't start as a, a theoretical exercise on a piece of paper. It happened with a guy grabbing a like you know a, a reed literally off of a plant and going, oh that's kind of cool. Yeah. We're going you know, to check this. And well, it's all very animalistic in a, in a sense. Well, not in a sense. It it really was. You know, it's like even animals will dance and sing in order to get some attention and and, and to whatever the mating process is and right. so on. And they're not sitting there going, you know, God, I wish Gibson had this bird guitar or whatever. You know, they're just doing that because those are the things that happen to work with reproduction. Can you tell I've been reading a little bit more about evolutionary theory? Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, exactly. I had to wake it up. Uh, but no, in, in one sense, though, it's like... I have a master's degree and I study... I like to just <laughs> read about evolution. <laughs> the pompous thing. That's what... Wood, air, metal, and full of... Uh, what is it? Full of myself, yeah. My own parts. So, uh, I'm smug. <laughs> Are you from San Francisco? <laughs> I am classical. Yeah, you got to look out for the smug cloud. Little South Park. <laughs> that, <laughs> 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 oh, God, that was so good. Oh, my gosh. Excuse me a second. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> just fantastic. Oh, man. But you know, it, it is kind of true. That's part of the classical thing. I have to work on the haughty toddiness and be like, ah. "I'm just messing with you. You don't sound haughty toddy." <laughs> I know. I'm just. I'm. I'm playing along. So, but ultimately, you know, that's the thing. I think that um, you know, there's a universality to that. That you know, if, if crickets can do it, 
and we're doing it to an extent and creating that. That's that's pretty stinking cool to see the ecosystem kind of play off each other like that. Yeah. You know, and uh, that that's wild because it is a universal thing where you can go anywhere and start to play some type of song and you're going to get particular reactions. Like that's, that's something that they studied. It's like, you know, if you play things and wherever you're going to pull an emotive response from the people around, regardless if they're familiar with it or not. Sure. You know, if I traveled to, that's one of the things I loved about um, like with Pierre's writing and his experiences, because he grew up in French, uh, occupied Algiers. So he would wake up every morning to like the morning prayers and hearing like that Arabic and Muslim style of uh, particular uh, pronunciation and rhythmical ideas and, and pitch placement, you know, with the, the quarter right. tone and so on. And then like, you can totally hear it in his guitar playing. Like when he really wants to bring that out, it's like, all right, that's just wickedly cool. And, sure. you know, this was this thing that was the barrier for me to understanding what he was actually doing inside of being like, what's going on? You know, like way back. And I would first starting to really play. So I was just kind of like, that's looks hard, but can you, where's the tune? And now I'm just like, Oh my God, did you see what he did? He, that, that, you know, once you get what he was, he was doing, it's like, wow, that's pretty stinking amazing. Um, and I think t- to an extent, that's what happens when new styles kind of get out there is we have the, there were first approaches of like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And then theory always follows practice. As that becomes more of an ingrained practice, we begin to see how it kind of works together. And then we can recognize it for the genius that it was in that first thing. Because the guys that always do it at first are usually the ones that get killed, you know, in one sense, like uh, either through uh, people being like, oh, that's just garbage. That's just this. That's, you know, it's it just it's lowbrow music or whatever, you know. And in all honesty, I, I was totally that way in my beginning musician years, you know, it wasn't until I got knocked around a bunch. And I think every musician to an extent is like that until they get knocked around a bunch and play with other people that put them in their place. They don't begin to appreciate the greater field of what's going on. We all, I don't know, maybe it's just part of adolescence too, right? Our egos are very large. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking too, when you were just saying, um, you know, you ever seen when somebody takes like a blues guitar solo and they write it out in notation, it looks like the most advanced thing you've ever seen in music notation to actually do it right. Right. Mm-hmm. With all the like quarter tone bends and the like, I mean, if you write that out in real notation, um, in Western notation, I should say, um, it just like Western notation is just not very good at it. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible to read because it's so complicated. Yes. And you, oh, pretty, there's just, a language there that an oral tradition so to speak that just doesn't represent itself well and jazz in a lot of ways jazz really doesn't fit very well in western harmony and it's a problem because we've forced it in there so then you get a lot of people creating jazz from western harmony instead of from where it probably should have been done (laughs) you know I, you know, you get, I, and should's kind of a weird word. I, I just mean that you're not really getting the intricacies because Western harmony and Western notation isn't good at representing it. Mm-hmm. So you miss a lot. It, it, the words the words fail it. Well, it's like a Jacob Collier, you know, to an extent, you know, and when he decides to sing a minor third, but with four steps in between. Yeah. 
It's like, how, how the hell do you notate that? Like, you, you, you can't. You, it, it, somebody tried, you know, and it just ends up like being like backwards stemming diamond fractions of a note, you know, type of thing that in order to represent, like, these don't really exist and we can't really, right. or let me rephrase that. These can't be written simply on a page. Yeah, you know, so you put it, like negative 17 or whatever. Yeah, you know, but, or whatever. Um, I remember seeing that because some guy transcribed it and I was like, what the? Oh, okay, that's, okay. That's why he's doing it that way. But even that, that's not replicatable on a piano. So the only way to do that is to sing it. And maybe with like a, a, a fretless instrument. Sure. You can get those pitches or something with a, you know, a microtonal. That, that reminds me of the, like Steve Vai notating Zappa solos, you know, he's like 18 or whatever. And Zappa, there's like a quote of Zappa being like, this kid makes me look like I'm a genius <laughs> because <laughs> Steve was notating it like pretty precisely. Mm-hmm. So all the little bends and stuff, they look like, you know, quarter tone bend, eighth, eighth, eighth or whatever, an octave of a bend or whatever, you know, and like even like the phrasing, like a lot of blues phrasing, if you really like cut it in pieces, it's really complicated rhythms to write. Um, And sometimes you'll have five over three or something like that, which sounds complicated, but in that tradition, the way that it's phrased it just sounds natural. Yeah. Um, so it's like, but then you look at it on paper, you're like, wow, this guy's a genius. You know, <laughs> it's like five or eight and like these, all these crazy bends and portamento and like vibrato that goes like this. And it starts to get really like hectic and, um, doesn't suit it. Anyway, I, I don't know how we got there totally, except to say that this is just another, um, tip to the hat of why my theory is better than yours. No, <laughs> no I was on, I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you with that. Yeah. It's almost, well, just the, the, the oral side it, in a lot of styles of music really trumps the Western harmony. That's why as you advance in harmony, you get all these different um, ways to analyze music because the sort of traditional, I, I, you probably know all the names of these, and I always forget what they are. Um, the different methods of analyzing music, though, there's different um, named people, right? Like, what yeah. is it, Ryman or what am I? Uh, especially like with twelve tone music and stuff like that, you get or more uh, non-functional harmony. Yeah, non-functional harmony. You get a lot of different. Like, it doesn't really fit in your sort of traditional harmony books. Because it doesn't follow the same rules. Yeah, um, and that's just you know that's. I'm just saying you have to you have to invent like new ways of an analysis to take something on like blues or jazz even. They just this sort of traditional harmony fails, and so this is one of those like well if you just had good ears, <laughs> then you wouldn't really need it in a sense. Um, now here we got to wrap things up. But I'm going to pose a quick question, and maybe this will be the last question. All right. Listening to like the hits of Michael Jackson, and the you know, let's throw Paul McCartney out there as well because he was mentioned in the same article um, uh, of just writing "quote unquote" by ear the entire time. How harmonically complex do you think that that is? Some, I mean, I I can't speak too much on the McCartney stuff. Um, just because I just don't know it. Um, yeah, and I, I but 
I mean, a lot of them. So the Michael Jackson thing, he, he didn't get that in a vacuum, right? Yeah, like, of course. He worked with Quincy Jones for years. I just I want to pick on I'm going to pick on Quincy for a second. Quincy was a great jazz trumpet player, um, with monster ears, and brought all kinds of harmony and like you know like pretty advanced like jazz harmony into so many pop records, you know, including Michael Jackson. So whether Michael Jackson up to that point, and this was in early in his career that Quincy got involved with him. If he knew those kind of sounds at that point, I don't know, but post or starting when working with Quincy Jones, there is some pretty hip harmony going on that you don't even learn. You'll never learn in four years in music school. You just, you won't in a, a standard classical program because it just doesn't go that far. Now there's stuff that it's missing, right? It's not getting to like Neapolitan chords and stuff like that, um, which is a great sound, by the way. You should yeah. use it all the time. I like to put it in all kinds of songs because it sounds so cool. Yeah, but it, it is pretty in cool. a lot of ways in jazz, it's sort of just like a way we would think of like altered stuff. But anyway, um, it's a great sound. But so yeah, maybe he couldn't have, he wouldn't have done that. But yeah, I mean, he got like some pretty like thirteenth chords and all kinds of cool like harmonies. I mean, why do you think when you hear like Jacob Collier or stuff, like a lot of times he's just copying the sort of sounds he hears that Michael Jackson was doing, you know, or yeah, Prince nobody, or something like that. Nobody's um, coming out of in a vacuum. Yeah. The, the um, other thing, like I was thinking about McCartney, and I'm sorry I'm rambling, but this is one of the interesting things about the Beatles. They grew up in a time when like big band was the thing. Like when they were kids, that's like what was hip and cool and there's a lot of really like interesting harmonies so when you get to the beatles music even though it's simple simple in a sense they still have that like ringing in their ears so these are really interesting chord progressions a lot of times that you don't hear in modern pop music because they're only like once removed from the big band era Right, where album. now pop music is like multiple generations removed even from the Beatles, you know, so you don't hear that. It's just not in like their history. Like you were talking about um, Pierre, like part of his history is hearing those chants and stuff in the morning. So it just gets in his music because it's in his blood, so to speak, just like the Beatles, the big band stuff and all these kind of like whatever show tunes. That's just, what they heard when they were growing up. So it's in their blood. And I'm sure it's still in, you know, Paul McCartney's, you know, ear, it's like ringing in his ear. So when he hears those things, they don't sound weird. They just sound normal where the new pop artist, they're just what they heard, you know, previously they heard only the Beatles and those people only heard, um, disco or whatever. And those people only heard Madonna, you know, and then they, you know, whatever, they only heard Britney Spears. And now you have Ariana Grande who listened to Britney Spears. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Um, so, anyway, I, I think it, it's not that it couldn't be advanced, and in some ways it is advanced um, compared to what you hear today. But it's just a matter of what, you know, what people were brought up on and what they like, I think. Yeah, I mean, you're going to throw your own spin on what you've heard yeah. and what you like. 
put together. I mean, you should if if you if you haven't listened to it again. I know you mentioned you heard it before, but that beat it thing. There's some pretty hip harmony on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you and know. I was trying yeah, to to make him seem like pretty sweet. At, at, at things at all. Like I wasn't listening to that question to be like, let's bash Michael Jackson's lack of. No, no, no I get it. That, that wasn't where I was going with that. I was just trying to see like you know. With that, there even with it, with the background with the singing, he was still being exotic, quote unquote. The things that would be interesting, yeah. With that, and that can be done. And then yeah, there are other things where you know, like I'm, I, 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 I swear to God, like my musical tests or tastes have got to be attached to a pendulum that just kind of goes in all <laughs> sure. directions, you know. Because I've been on a big, uh, like simplistic, minimalist type of thing. Not even glass level minimalist more like a uh, oliver arnold's uh i'm butchering his thing i did i was listening to steve reich last night yeah that, that's it, what i was to when i went uh, to bed yeah but this was like his is very very s- simple in the best sense of the word piano with accompaniment you know it's nothing crazy no crazy key changes yeah. or anything exotic but i mean his writing is just gorgeous and uh you know so it doesn't have to necessarily be complex to be good um uh, with that, so I wasn't hinting. That's what I'm, I'm like making it absolutely clear that that's not what I was hinting at. What a uh, jerk! The master's degree speaks <laughs> again. Just gonna keep picking on that the entire time. <laughs> you know, actually, there, I, I was uh, with my my mom. I was at my mom's and like my brother, sister, and everybody, they were all there. And uh, I think my sister-in-law. <laughs> We were trying. We were getting a fire started at their house, and um, my wife and I were. We started helping them at one point. We finally got it going, and she's like, "Oh, that's so." This is how long it takes four master's degrees to get um, a fire started. And my wife and I, neither of us have our master's degrees, and we're like, "Huh? Yeah, I guess." <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> but they both do. Yeah. Uh, anyways so yeah i'm picking on master's degrees this week if you have a master's degree you're on my war path i'm (laughs) I'm gonna wake up to a string of deaths (laughs) (laughs) oh man have that extra money feel yeah yeah what what extra money (laughs) (laughs) extra money you spent to get that degree that's worthless can't even start a fire can you adam I can start a fire with that degree. <laughs> I can put that underneath and get it going. Oh man, we were doing. I'm sorry. One last side to Did you ever hear? Uh, since we talked about Zappa, there's a the night at the Roxy or the Roxy and elsewhere. It's like the greatest Zappa album. If you haven't heard it, you got to hear it. There's a whole uh, part where they do like these little skits during the show. You know, this kind of this is a live show at the Roxy in L.A. Um, and he's like, oh, here's a, here's a, your diploma with a sock in it for your high school diploma, you know? And he's like, oh, you, you like, so if I smoke this, I get my high school diploma. And they're like, yeah, man, you can smoke that. You get your high school. So then he comes back and he's like, yeah, man, here's uh, you can get your college. You got to go to college, man. He's like, here's a, here's your diploma. He's like, man, there ain't nothing in your diploma. He's like, yeah, that's right. You get nothing with your college degree. <laughs> Smoke that, it'll get you real high. And he's like, 
Yeah, nothing. Not nothing. Not, that's that's what I want. I want nothing. <laughs> so Zap was like, spoken like a real Zen Buddhist or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is what I want. Yeah, it's uh, Zappa was like so out there. Like it's one of those things that you just have to get. You know, it's oh, like yeah. British to an extent. There's like, some of it that is not aged well. So <laughs> no, no, not that, aged well at all. But and there's definitely some brilliant stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's always stay be. a little bit away from a lot of the lyrics. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, it's it's worse than like. Us with like little kids now, and we're trying to like show them movies from like the eighties and nineties, and you're like, "All right, I think we're gonna turn this off." I, I didn't realize that was what was going on. Okay, quick. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it's, no, it's usually like the verbs, like the words used. You're like, nobody talks like that anymore. Yep. Nope. That's just that's the way that it goes. You know, about yeah. a twenty, thirty year gap, and then we're looking back that's at right. horror, all that. So. All right, let's end this. Let's wrap this Ooh. up here. So, thanks for paying attention to episode 25. I have gotten the numbers correct if you have made it this far. <laughs> awesome. Leave us a comment. On yeah, how are your ears? How are your ears? Would you, you join the Tim Mirth hard program? <laughs> we will make your ears. We're going to start getting sponsors so we can start a music school. Yeah, there we go. I'd be down with that. You can take the ears. I'll take the page. How's that sound? (laughs) All right, everybody. Catch you later. Later.